Wondering who lives at the top of Ben's desk tower? I'm Jasmine. And killing them with sex? I'm the sexual adventurous Mel's. Welcome to Damn Fine TV's Twin Peaks Rewatch. This week we're covering Season 2, Episode 12, sometimes known as The Black Widow, or as we're calling it, Dead Dog Farm. Listeners, we still put our panties on one leg at a time, we always flip a coin while making real estate decisions, and we absolutely check for witchcraft in our autopsies. Now let's rock. This episode first aired on January 12th, 1991. It was written by Harley Payton and Robert Ingalls and directed by Caleb Deschanel. Okay, so right off the bat, I gotta say, episode 12, the first person we see in this episode, who is it? It's Mr. Bobby Briggs. Who's one of the last people we see in this episode? Oh, it's Mr. Bobby Briggs. I like to call this episode a Bobby Briggs bookend, and I gotta give it five foreheads. Shit, okay. That's not our show. That's not our show. Uh, whatever. Oh man. Oh, I thought we were in. Inter- <laughs> I thought we were incorporating that because you know how bad I want to steal it. Okay, let's go ahead. Let's give a round of applause to the Bobby Bookend. <laughs> I want to start my morning or whenever I'm watching this afternoon. How about this? I just want to open my eyes all the time and see Bobby Briggs in a suit. Let's yes. Good Lord. I don't know if this is still Leo's suit, but he looks good. I don't care. He's looking good. But it's so nice to see Bobby back sort of in the central center of things, whatever he's been on the peripheries for a number of episodes now. And his presence really helped me get through this episode because there's quite a bit that I was just kind of like, okay, this is where we're at. This is what's happening. And Look, I know on our last episode, I was all about this idea of like, this is still Twin Peaks. So like, even if we feel like the foundations of things are crumbling a little bit at the very heart of everything, it's still this show, right? And I stand by that, but I don't know that I explained myself that well. Like, as I was listening back, uh, editing, I was like, okay, I know what I'm saying, but does everybody else kind of understand what I'm saying? (laughs) So I wanted to take just like a couple seconds here, probably more than seconds, but just to like elaborate a little bit. I think what I was getting at is that mostly for me, it's just a little crazy making to try and like pinpoint where the show went wrong, quote unquote, or to like dissect it to a point to try and figure out like why it's bad, quote unquote. Like it just... The the show's 30 years old, like it's not changing. And should we point out things that are problematic and silly? Yes, like that is part of what we're doing here on the show. But I think I'm just like still kind of working out how I'm feeling about things this time around because I don't feel as frustrated as I used to. Like even when I'm not having as much fun as I could possibly be having, like I'm just not that mad about it anymore. So I don't know if I've just like gotten over it or something, but Watching this episode, I kind of started to realize that 
I think this area, this section of the show, kind of feels like a lull in the story because the threat and the danger of, like, the woods and the supernatural of everything isn't as heightened as it was. We do have the stuff going on with Major Briggs and all that that's kind of, like, you know, in the background percolating really nicely. But the bigger threats right now are really, like, Jean Renault, Hank Jennings, Lana Milford, Little Nicky, Wyndham Earl. These are all very human people that, like, even all together, they don't feel as threatening or menacing as, like, Bob or just this, those weird dream sequences, the stuff that's happening in the woods. And, you know, none of these people are, like, suddenly appearing from behind couches or anything. So I just think it's, like, a natural sort of ebb in the ebb and flow of a story. Like, if this was turned up to 11 all the time, it would feel like, I think it would go in the other direction of like feeling like too much, right? I mm-hmm. And I don't know where that like sense of idyllic and quirky and wholesome Twin Peaks would come from. So hopefully that is like a better explanation of what I was going for last last episode. I Like I said, I was listening back to it and I was like, mm, I don't know that you made your point there, Missy. So try again, but... <laughs> Anyways, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and I totally get what you're saying. And I mean, uh, listen, I know that we we hold Twin Peaks to a much higher standard than we do other TV because it's so phenomenal. But it is still uh, a TV show. It's still, you know, a story that has to be told. And any story, like you said, is going to, it has the ebb and flow. It's going to have the points where it's like, okay. Let's kind of get back to like the whole main plot or like what's going on here. But I mean, that's really what makes a a story, right? I mean, not. Yeah, I've never read or watched something or or I've never consumed something where uh, like literally from one second in until the very last second, I was like, whoa, that blew my socks off. You know, I mean, there's always moments where you're like, okay, well, didn't really probably need all that, but it's still great. You yeah. Know, so, yeah, absolutely. All right. I'm glad you're picking up what I'm throwing down. Hopefully the <laughs> listeners are, too. I would love to hear what listeners are thinking about that sort of perspective or, you know, their thoughts on this section of season two. So so what did you think? That's kind of my loose overall thoughts for this episode. But what did you think? Okay. It was enjoyable. I don't have an issue with it. Yeah. Um, I'm not a bit it, 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 like we really just talked about. I mean, could I do Without the James and Evelyn stuff, sure. Am I going to hate it? Maybe. But that doesn't make me hate the show or think Mm -hmm. it's bad or the episode being bad. No. I am actually starting to not mind the little Nikki stuff. I mean, the first time around, I was like, I don't... See, the first time I was just so hungry for more of what they weren't doing in these episodes, right? Yeah. So by second time around, I'm like, okay, actually take a seat, you know, take lean back a little bit and enjoy some of the other things that they're peppering in. I, I laughed out loud several times at the little Nikki stuff in this yeah. episode. And I was like, that's great because I'm changing, you know, my views on that. If you'd have asked me the first time around, I'd have been like, I don't care about this kid and all this other stuff, but you know, here we are. I mean, then also the Dwayne and Dougie stuff. I'm here for it. I love it. I think it's hilarious and it's great. And again, even though we're not getting a lot of that stuff that we're really used to, I don't mind the little stuff that we're getting thrown in here and there, you know? So, yeah, but I loved, I, I loved the episode. It's, is it one of my favorites? No, but I mean, do I hate it? Absolutely not. You know, so. 
All right. Well, let's let's talk about some damn fine facts for this episode. Of course, we have the date tracker. And yet again, we're recording this episode before the calendar conundrum of episode 10 is released. So if we're going by damn fine TV canon, then this episode takes place on Thursday, March 16th. But it could also be the 17th. Time in Twin Peaks. Uh, This was the first episode that aired in 1991. So episode 11 uh, happened kind of in mid-December of 1990. Then we had a bit of a winter break, and we're coming back with episode 12 in 1991. Of course, this sort of starts or marks the beginning of the end because Twin Peaks only aired in 1990 and 1991. It was on the air for such a short amount of time. It's kind of crazy to think about. But that made me think, like, Was Andrew Packard being alive the big cliffhanger that, you know, they went out on in their mid-season finale or whatever? That that just kind of made me laugh. Yeah, I love that, actually. It's like who shot JR for Dallas. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Uh, And this is Molly Shannon's TV debut. So we had David Duchovny's TV debut last week, uh, now Molly Shannon's. She'd been in a horror version of Phantom of the Opera, But Mm -hmm. that was it. Like, that's kind of all the work that she had done. And this is certainly not as epic as an entry into television as Denise was. But I thought it was kind of cool that a lot of these actors that we would know today are getting their start here on Twin Peaks. Absolutely. Okay, and then finally, when we find uh, Dougie at the Great Northern, Harry says that he went out with his boots on. So I wanted to know what that meant. So... To die with your boots on basically just means that you were active at the time of your death. And apparently the first uses of this phrase were, or at least the first uses in the Western world, were apparently in regards to cowboys who were killed during battle. So that feels like a very fitting phrase for Harry to be using. <laughs> I mean, absolutely fitting, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but that's it. That's damn fine facts. Well, let's get into it, shall we? Ben takes up Bobby's offer to work for him and sends him off to follow Hank after an inspiring speech. (laughs) We ended the last episode with him, with Ben talking about the feng shui or Mm -hmm. however you say it. Yeah. But I love that this is his interpretation of that because I was like, this is not feng shui. (laughs) I don't think it's just piling everything in your office on top of your desk. Yeah. So... Let's rework that. I had a great laugh at that, though. And then it just kind of gives Bobby this uh, (laughs) speech on, like, what is life and where do you want to be in life? And the look on Bobby's face, though, because he is clearly like, uh, oh, man, I don't know what you're talking about, but I'm here to make some money. Like, just let's get on with it, right? (laughs) Yeah. Bobby has no idea what he's just gotten himself into. Like, no. I think in his mind, he he thinks he's done something so great with that tape. But really, it's just like a series of events that have kind of happened outside of him. Like Ben has started crumbling, you know, the whole thing with Catherine and Josie, and now Hank has switched sides to be with Jean Reno. And really, there just kind of became this opening in Ben's life where he needed somebody new to do his dirty work. So here's Bobby, and you were just kind of right place, right time, pal. But you looked good doing it. (laughs) I mean, at least there's that. If you're going to, yeah, if you're going to do it, look good doing it. That's words of wisdom with Mel's. So I do like their little joke about Leo. Like that felt like a genuine bonding moment for them to both be laughing about Leo, which I really enjoyed. Yeah. 
Oh, I know. And it's it's even funnier. Maybe this is bad, but to me, it's even funnier now that Leo is incapacitated for them to make a joke about him not being able to use the technology when he had his full like, yeah, mind yes. about himself. <laughs> it's like a layer of extra layer of being funny there because it's like, yeah. well, <laughs> yeah, he probably can't operate it, this technology now either. So there's that. Yeah. Um, and then Ben basically tells Bobby that he wants him to follow Hank. And uh, kind of see like what he's up to. He wants him to tell him something he doesn't already know, which I think is funny because it's like, but how does Bobby not like how how is Bobby supposed to know what you don't already know? Exactly. Yeah. It's one of those like tests that you would get from a shitty boss, you know? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, and then uh, as Bobby's walking out, I mean, I call her the I'm now calling the Black Widow, but Lana Mm-hmm. Uh, is running down the hall screaming. And I was like, oh, no, what what could have possibly gone wrong? <laughs> Love that she takes a break from screaming and running to sort of like look at Bobby as she's running by. Like, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't take that moment to breathe in Dana Ashbrook? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, not to be crass, but I mean, look at what she did just marry. So, <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. definite upgrade. Needs a little eye candy. <laughs> Dale's ready to settle into Twin Peaks as he looks for real estate. But with the flip of a coin, he's led to a mysterious home. I love everything about this. It's the Tibetan method all over again for me, right? Yeah. Where he wants, to, okay, he's going to settle into Twin Peaks. He wants to find a nice little home. He's looking at log cabins. I love that for him. Love that journey for him. And of course, he's going to use the uh, uh, a coin to flip and see which one it's going to land on for him to look at. And it also, it obviously is going to land on not one of the two that he's looking at. It's one that's like kind of tucked away, but not really. And I love how it's that also that story of, oops, how did this one get in here? Like, yes, I, <laughs> yes, it's so yeah. tropey, but perfect. Exactly. Because he I would took be, that one out. <laughs> yes, because that would be the one that he would be like, well, now what about this one? Yeah. It's like, oh, oops, you mean Dead Dog Farm? <laughs> Irene yeah. knew what she was doing all along. Uh, I do love the the coin flip. It feels so magical in a very mundane way. Uh, and this is another example for me of like, we've had all of these instances of I think actual magic and supernatural stuff in Twin Peaks. And this is like a little bit of a step down. This is part of that sort of quieter, um, mysterious, magical stuff that's happening in this section of the show. And of course, he wants to see Dead Dog Farm. Does it, the name doesn't scare him off. And the fact that no one stays there doesn't scare him off. I mean, he's Del Cooper, okay? Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. going to scare him. Mm-mm. Lucy, Dick, and Andy meet with Nikki's case manager and find out that Nikki's been plagued by a life full of heartache. Okay, like, this was sad but funny at the same time. Because, I mean, you kind of, after the scene, you kind of know the direction they're going to go in with, like, little Nikki. And to me, it's, like, very, like, problem child. I don't know if you remember that movie, but it was, like, the little boy just kept getting, like, taken back to the Mm. orphanage because nobody could handle him. And it just made me feel like that. It's like, well, we didn't really want to tell you, but, you know, like he's he's done all this mischievous things, you know, and this is yeah. why he keeps coming back. Um, but, yeah, his his parents were were they died mysteriously. And I mean, this kind of starts to get Dick's wheels turning. I'm, I don't really know if it gets Andy's and Lucy's, but it's sad, too, because if you really think about the subject material here, I mean, 
it is sad that this child has been in and out of so many homes. Yeah, for sure. They're definitely playing it as more ominous or foreboding, though. Like, the way the music kicks in, and you're right, like, it does start, like, Dick's gears start turning. He's starting to think about something, and I think the ominous music is trying to lead us in a certain direction, but... We can talk about later whether or not that's working, maybe. (laughs) I know. Bless it. Bless it. Dougie has a heart attack from too much honeymoon fun. And Dwayne is pissed because he feels Dougie was murdered by the vagina. (laughs) Well, I have to say that of all of the sort of mixed bag plots that we get at this point in season two, Lana Milford has always been my least favorite. I... I don't mind the Milford brothers. I found I find them funny. I like their little feud that they were having. I actually surprisingly feel something for Dwayne here when he gets really emotional about his brother. I don't necessarily care too much about Dougie. We barely know him. But just seeing this old man cry who's usually so, like, angry and aggressive, it did something for me. But, uh, yeah, I... I think we'll talk about it more, obviously, like it doesn't happen a lot here, but just like the men losing their minds over Lana is it just doesn't Mm -hmm. it's just boring for me. It feels so cliche. And I think we'll get into it more when we're talking about how she's when she talks about how she's a witch or cursed or whatever. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. Well, I mean, really, the only thing that I had to take away from this scene that wasn't just obvious that I mean, they were... (laughs) Yeah, the, all the books. Okay, yeah. I I love it, but I also love the fact that Andy was like nose deep in those pages, and, <laughs> and it's like he was reading that sentence, and then he was like, "Oh my!" Like I, that is that is comedy, and I and love then he it. Just and it clutches his pearls. And yeah, he's so offended. Yeah. <laughs> and what I mean by it being subtle is it's not like if there were a, it would a laugh track wouldn't go over that. It's just a subtle little like right. oh. You know, like, okay, enough of that. Like, that's too exciting for me. Yes. I'm very vanilla. Yes. <laughs> I have a feeling. I do obviously love that Dwayne calls her a sexual adventuress and all of that. <laughs> I just think it's great. I mean, it's it's funny to me. Now, her and Hawk, <laughs> I was like, Hawk, please. This is so out of character, but it's like what you and I were saying. Like, it's whatever kind of magic or something yeah. that she has about herself. You know, I don't even think it's that. I think it's called pheromones. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's just female See, pheromones. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is my <laughs> issue. Like, I think this whole, is this where she does go into her having a curse or whatever? And yes. the braces story? Uh-huh. Okay, sorry. I thought that was later. So I'll just talk about that now then. I think there is yeah. something super interesting to this idea of her being a witch or her having this curse on her. It fits so nicely within the world of Twin Peaks. But Honestly, it really is just an excuse for why these men can't control their boners. Like, they're just blaming it on the fact that this woman is supposedly cursed. It's like, no, she's gorgeous, and you just can't control yourself. I think, listen, spoiler alert, this goes fucking nowhere, and that's why I think it's boring and not that great. But it could have been. It really could have been. Like, I think there's something here that just didn't get explored in the right way. I agree. I mean, yeah, it, yeah. I'm just going to leave it at yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Hawk saying, you know, well, it this was also just, it was just dripping 
with sexuality. It's just like, well, you know, a curse needs a cure, man. Yes, yes. And I was like, Hawk, no, yeah. like snap the cure out is of your it. Dick. You are, I get it. Right. But I'm like, <laughs> this is not you, sir. Okay. You are level-headed. Like, come on. But obviously he he is the man with the plan until Andy opens the door on him. Yes. And then I was like, I was rolling on the floor. Like oh, I was like, very this is too much. Stuff. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it. After a somewhat inspiring speech from the wrestling coach, Nadine joins the team, whips Mike's ass, and tries to score a date all within 20 seconds. So, (laughs) I, okay, I love Nadine. Mm -hmm. Sorry, not sorry. It is what it is. I just love, first of all, the speech was, I'm not even going into the speech. because Wrestling coach was super funny. He's great. Now, Loved it. Oh, it's great. But I. But then he was like, anyway, you see how fast that Indian can run? All right. Yeah, that Nadine. was weird. That was weird. And I was like, mm, I, yeah. don't, I don't know about. OK, I, yeah. I think what he I think what he was trying to say was because they wouldn't let African-Americans be on the team. They said, oh, well, it's an it's an Indian. And st- but, but I honestly don't, I don't understand what they were trying to say. Yeah, yeah I know. I was trying to dissect it. And then I was like, let me put the scalpel away. I don't think I want to open up what, <laughs> what's yeah. going on here. Um, but he did say all of that to say, so anywho, here's Nadine. She's on the wrestling team. We love to love it. Uh, she was like, okay, what's up? What's the first thing I need to do? Oh, kick Mike's ass. Why don't you come over, Mike? I love the movements between the two of them where he's like, grab me here. And she's like, anyway, I'm going to choke you out. I was just like, You're right. It is like necking. <laughs> I love it so much. And then she's just like, she pins him. And then she's like, so how about that date? And I'm just like, Nadine, honey. <laughs> <laughs> now this is this is like her being hot for his i don't know if it's pheromones on a man too but whatever it is she is hot for his scent okay oh yeah but i mean and i agree listen i love all of this this is part of the bizarre comedy that i love so much about this show but the whole now will you go out with me crossed a line for me a little bit like that yeah. felt a little bit gross you know we were talking about this on the last episode with coral of like if the genders were reversed, this would be incredibly creepy. This is starting to, like, verge onto that territory for me. It's, yeah, I don't know. It was, I wish it didn't end on that note. That's all, but. Yeah, I mean, because I do have in my notes, not Nadine pressuring him like that. Like, yeah. I mean. You pin yeah, and- somebody down and then you say, <laughs> now will you go out with me? And I, I like, there's part of me that's like, yes, but it is a woman. And like for so long, you know, narratives about women would never be told this way. And so it is nicely subverting some stuff here. But now that we're watching this in 2021, it just rings a little bit different. And yeah, so I think yeah. I think both of those feelings can exist at the same time. And yeah, I agree with that. I do. And listen, it takes a lot for me, a Nadine stand. <laughs> To be like, all right, Nadine, I need you to calm down, okay? Just a Let little me, bit. Just slow your roll a little bit. Let's talk about other ways you can relieve the pressure, okay? <laughs> just leave Mike alone. <laughs> you know? And then Mike and Donna share a funny moment as he asks for help with Nadine. I mean, obviously, Nadine fucked him up. Let's just act like yeah. he is walking around like his yeah. ass is on his neck, basically. 
And I mean, for him, I do think it's a genuine like cry for help. And Donna's like, well, whatever, Mike, you d- who beat your ass this time? You must have enjoyed or not enjoyed it. You must have been asking for it or like, what did you do? You know, type of thing. But he's like, no, seriously, like I need you to help me with Mrs. Hurley. I love that he calls her Mrs. Hurley because I'm like, that's right, everybody. Why wouldn't let's get, he? Let's right? Have yeah. a, right. But let's have a reality check here. Yeah, she's Nadine, but in real life, she's Mrs. Hurley. Yes, yeah, it makes perfect (laughs) sense that that's what he would call her. I really did enjoy that dialogue. Malcolm introduces himself to James, the brother of Evelyn and also the butler. He lets James in on a little family business. Evelyn is being abused by her husband. And is it Jeffrey? Because I I just kept writing Evelyn's husband, Jeffrey. Yeah. All right. Love that you call this an introduction. I, I think that's so generous of you to call it that because this man basically <laughs> well, verbal vomits all over James. Like, legit yeah. for me, this is the most unrealistic thing that's ever happened in Twin Peaks. He is, you know how I said like Evelyn was at like 150% when we met her? This man is at a, a level that is so off the charts, I can't even clock it. Like, who says this upon meeting somebody? Nobody. That's also, who. Also, I don't. I, this okay. And trying to tiptoe around this because I mm-hmm. don't want to spoil. I don't want to spoil. But I feel like obviously we're laying the foundation of su- yes. something going yes. on here. But this is aside from the fact that it involves James. This. This right here is why I don't like the James and Evelyn stuff is because he's taken advantage of and to really put yourself in the in the place of James. I mean, obviously, he's going through something. I mean, Laura's died. I mean, he's got Maddie's died. He's like he's going through. He's escaping. Yes. Quote unquote, Twin Peaks to try to I don't know, maybe try to fight himself or whatever. And he happens upon this woman who's a predator. Let's just be let's just call it what it is. I mean, she. She sees him a young kind of, you know. She even looks like a bird of prey. Let's be honest. Absolutely. She's so fucking angled in her face. Anyways. And this is what I don't. And this is just why I don't like it. Like a lot of people are like, oh, you don't like it because it's James. No, I don't like it because of what what really happens to James in Mm -hmm. this. Because, you know. James is the least offensive part of this. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm no James fan here. Okay. I'm not, I'm not switching teams. All right. I'm not going over there, (laughs) but I feel bad for him. And they, they, I mean, this is her brother, supposedly. I don't even know if it really is. I mean, the whole thing was just weird. And he looks pretty angled too. Well, true. I see the jeans matching. Yeah. I don't know. I just don't like it because it's just uh, to me, it's just obvious because immediately it's like, well, let me tell you about how she's being abused, you know, and let me do all of that. And it's just like, eh, you know, because at the root of of it. Yeah. No, I just want to say at the root of it, I think James has got a good heart. You know, he might be goofy. He might be. He was never cool. But that doesn't mean I want to see this happen to him. That's all. You know? Yeah. I agree. Like, I think I think I actually have that later in my notes about how this is supposed to be a kind of escape for James. Uh, There's there's so much trauma back home that I think this was his way of getting out of it and trying to deal with it in his own way. But the problem with the stuff in the marshlands, fantastic name coined by the TB boys, is that we already care so little about James that trying to create this new storyline with him at the center and sort of him as our anchor into why we should be invested falls really flat because 
it's not like, like if this had been Bobby, I think maybe things might have been a little bit different. Or if this had been, I don't know, like even Audrey, Shelly, like so many other, even Donna, I think we might have had more investment in. But because we care so little about James, it's really hard to then extend any of that investment or care to Evelyn, Malcolm, Jeffrey, to any of this stuff. So, yeah. You know what? Trash flag. <laughs> all right. All right. So can we move on from that? Yes, please. <laughs> okay. Uh, Dale visits Dead Dog Farm, say that three times fast, and uncovers a secret meeting involving baby laxative and cocaine has recently taken place or a regular Saturday night for some people. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I love, I mean, obviously I love everything about this. I mean, right off mm-hmm. the bat, you know, because she's like, no, no one's been here. And he's like, we've got three tracks. Listen, I can tell you them. you're making model. Of all these tire tracks I'm seeing right here. Like, obviously, someone's been here. Yeah. You go into the house, and it's like, okay, there's fresh Siggy butts in the ashtray. Like, you know, I mean, but I love the fact that Dale's just like, okay, I know I'm house hunting, but let me put on this, you know, the investigator uh, shoes for a moment. And And he pretty much has everything figured out in no time. I mean, basically, he knows that this has to be what is part of his setup and and what's going on with his investigation. I mean, you've got cocaine cut with baby laxative, you know, residue everywhere. Obviously someone's using dead dog farm to do dirty deeds. And I just love that it's Dale's not supposed to be in this quote unquote FBI role, but it's not very, it's, it's not easy for him to take it off. Let's put it that way. Cause it's just like, okay. And for him also it's personal because he's like, well, what does this have to do with me? Yes, I feel like you can take his gun and his badge away, but Coop will always just have this intuitive, investigative, like, DNA that's obviously at his core, and it's just going to click on whenever it has a chance to, right? Um, That smile that he gives to Irene when he says, we have to notify the sheriff, like, he's happy to be back in the game, but... I think, you know, we talked about, it must have been last episode, uh, that lingering glance that he gave to his gun and his badge on the table at the sheriff's station. Like, he has considered what life might be like not being a part of the Bureau, but I don't think that means that he will not have those qualities anymore. It might just mean using them in a different way, which I think we kind of see throughout Twin Peaks, like, not to be spoilery, (laughs) but... Yeah, I just, I love that this has given him an opportunity to get back in the game, I guess. And yeah, Dead Dog Farm, I have more to say on this place in the spoiler section, but this is clearly part of the mysterious woods in Twin Peaks. This yeah, is I think a, so too. This, like, I would not be surprised if some sort of spirits created this house. Ding, ding, ding. I love it. Dick's attempting to change a flat and has a near-death experience involving Nikki, which leaves him wondering what's he gotten himself into. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously, A, I have to say the matching outfits. I was I just about to say who wore it best. <laughs> I, Nikki wore it best because I hate <laughs> Agreed, it. Agreed, yeah. <laughs> I just love the fact that he's just trying to make a little, <laughs> little dick yes. at this point. Yes. You know what I mean? Like... But not a little also, a little dick. <laughs> That's right. A little dick. He can't. He doesn't know how to change a flat. 
I love that he's trying to also blame this somehow on the gas farm because he's like, oh, they told me at the gas farm that it was fine. I was like, whatever. Like a flat tire is a flat tire. You run over something, you get a flat. Like You just, need to respect Big Ed, please. Oh, my God. I hate him. Uh, but anywho, basically, he kind of, I guess you could call this a near-death experience. I don't know if I would maybe classify it as that. But I mean, Nikki's playing around in the car. And when he gets out of the car, the car falls down. Two things happen here. A, I got, it, it was hard for me with Nikki because I was like, oh, my God, like, a lot of tragedy has really followed him throughout, you know, his very young life already. And this scary thing just happened and he's reacting to it like, oh, my God, you know, like this scared me. You almost died or you could, you know, like, are you hurt? Whatever. But for Dick, he's like, no, I'm fine. And you still see those wheels turning like, uh, <laughs> what's going on here? It's so weird to me, though, because like the whole little Nikki as being like sinister or a killer, it, it's not really landing for me. But what is landing is that he was genuinely worried about Dick and he didn't want to yeah. lose another caregiver. So I, like, maybe that's Nikki's evil genius plan, though, is to make me think that he's this sweet young boy who's worried about Dick while he's really just, you know, reeling me in and he's going to go in for True. the kill soon. But I kind of, I was like, what? what is the deeper thing of this story? Like, what, is there anything below the surface? And honestly, all I can think about is Dick maybe sees the idea of parenthood, of fatherhood as like, a death of his old self in a way. And that's like what he's scared of with Nikki. But that's me probably, you know, looking into a subtext that maybe doesn't exist. Well, no, I mean, I can see that for sure. I don't I, I don't know if I would give Dick that much credit yeah. <laughs> to be able yeah. to, to maybe think of that. But I mean, subconsciously, yeah, that could be going on. Mm -hmm. I mean, to me, it just really showcases what kind of parent Dick would be, though. I mean, I'm, all he cares about is let's have a matching outfit, you know, and it's just it. There's no there's no fatherly instinct really there, you no, know, and it's like not. even when this child is genuinely showing you like emotion, it's like, oh, my gosh, are you OK? You know, like it's like he could, doesn't even know how to hug the child and like no, it was so awkward yeah yeah it was and weird. he was still it just was you know worried about himself but exactly yeah. right like it how was he going to get me <laughs> you know, yeah i mean if nikki is evil maybe dick is tapped into the woods in a way that we haven't given him credit for i don't even know if i want to think about that's that fair though. that's fair <laughs> there's something magical and that I love about it, that I don't want to taint it with this nasty dick. Mm -hmm. Taint, <laughs> Which I've nasty said several, dick. I've, yep. okay. I've said that several <laughs> times in my life about several things, people, okay? I want to taint this with that nasty oh, dick. This is the after dark damn fine TV. <laughs> I, I can't help it. They're putting it out there for hey, us. Agreed. Okay. Agreed. <laughs> All right. Dale talks with the colonel about Garland's disappearance. Yes, owls were present, but what about the messages? Of course, it's classified, but the colonel lets them know that Briggs is a skilled pilot and the messages came from the woods. I loved everything about this. See, that's what I'm saying. Like, this is what I was yeah. talking about in the beginning when I said I don't hate the episode. The little, the, the little one-off things that are happening don't make me hate it because when we get these moments like Dale at Dead Dog Farm or... This whole interaction in the sheriff's department, 
with the kernel. I love it because it's like, okay, what are we, you know, we're building all of this around Garland, which I absolutely love. Yeah. And, you know, well, there are classified things that you're, I'm not going to be able to tell you. Poor Harry's not going to ever, like, he can't even pick up on context clues. He's just like, <laughs> give me the facts, damn it. You know, like, <laughs> I need it in black and white, okay? But I love it because he's still, it's the exchange between Dale, who we know is tapped into this, and then the colonel who who has knowledge of it. I don't know if he's necessarily tapped into it, but he understands what's going on. So this interaction between those two alone about were there birds there? Yes, owls. Okay, what about these messages? I know they were about me. Well, they came from here, but where did they go? And, you know, well, Garland's a, a very skilled pie. I just, I, I could just eat this with a spoon. Like, like, I love it so much. Yeah, there's so much information that we get in such a short amount of time. And it just does a great job of continuing to build the mystery of what's happening in the woods, especially because, yes, our our... Um, whatever, like our machines are pointed at space, but the messages actually came from deep here in the, or here deep in the woods, which is really awesome. And the idea that Major Briggs's disappearance goes far beyond anything that's happening in Twin Peaks. Like it is as big as the universe. Like it's impacting like fucking Pluto at this point. Like Mm -hmm. it's just of such great importance like that really kind of elevates things and really heightens the intensity it's it's great everything about garland it's funny because i didn't connect to him i really connected to him more when i when i watched the return but now that i'm rewatching the entire series i i connect to him so much more in season one and two and i love it he's a great character Yes. And I I mean, I know that real like peakies love it, but I I mean, people that maybe just casually uh, watch it and like it and enjoy it. I don't I don't even know if that's a main character because, you know, like when I yeah, when I search message boards and stuff, I don't see a lot of chatter about Garland Briggs. It's always James Bobby in season two. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, gosh, there's so much that was just there that I did not absorb yeah. the first time around. Yeah. So James fixes the jag and Evelyn repays him with a kiss. She doesn't want to talk about her husband and ding dong, look who just pulled up. So James, thank you, Big Ed, for teaching him how to fix cars because he did fix this jag. It seems to me I'm picking up all some clues that it maybe wasn't that hard fix. <laughs> Agreed. Because uh, that he was like nothing. Yeah. And he also was like, well, nothing's wrong with the engine, but Mm -hmm. I fixed your bumper. And Mm -hmm. I was like, "Okay, so really. okay, Hello. Red flag. Number one Mm -hmm. should be pretty sure. Dick could have done this repair. But okay, (laughs) I'm fairly certain. But then Evelyn, of course, you know, cozies up to him. He wants to know more from her about what Malcolm has told him. I need to I need to talk about the dialogue from James here when he wants to know more about the husband. He goes, okay, please do it. Goes, are you afraid? Are you afraid of your husband? Are you? And I was like, Jesus fucking Christ, James, shut the fuck up and let her answer one of these questions. Yes, sir, three (laughs) times in a row. Are you afraid? Are you afraid of your husband? Are you? Oh my God. Well, and I'm sorry, but that's what I meant when I said they probably could tell he wasn't, he was very naive. He's not fired on all cylinders yet, as no one at that age is. Okay, that's what I mean by that. Like, (sighs) Very young high school mm-hmm. kid. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Very. 
He, he is <laughs> yeah. young, yeah, because he even asks, like, why don't you leave? And it's like, it's really much more complicated than that. For exactly. as much as I hate Evelyn, if you're in an abusive relationship, the answer isn't always just leaving. So, yeah. A hundred percent. Like, yes. And that's that's really something to think about because, yeah, when you're that young and you haven't had experience in life, and I'm not saying that everyone's going to experience something like abuse, but I mean... It's it is something that happens. And I mean, you might know someone that's very close to you that's been through an experience like that. But when you're young and don't have that experience, it seems very easy to just be like, well, fuck it. I'm going to leave. Well, we can't all just get on our bikes and go. James. (laughs) That's right. That's right. But in reality, it, it there's layers and it's a lot more complicated. And that's why we end up with situations with abusive, you know, domestic abuse and violence that we end up with. And it's very very complicated. Yeah. So she gives him like a Sprite in a bottle or something. I'm just like, okay, at least he's graduated from the juice. All I right. I think they're drinking so. beer, honestly. Oh, is he having a beer? I, I see. It this. looks like a beer to me, but it could be oh a, a soda bottle. Yeah. Look at me trying to give to be James, wholesome. Like, be wholesome, but he's probably downing a beer. You're right. He just got through working on a doing a hard day's work of, like, making sure the engine's okay in that jag. Well, I think uh, he must be drunk because the way that he kisses this woman is uh, the most <laughs> awkward thing I've ever seen. But, like, what's with the camera angle? There's so much neck in that shot. And it's like, are you trying to take some emphasis off of his forehead with this angle? Because now <laughs> you've just given James the longest neck that I've ever seen. It's really giving the forehead a run for its money. It's just, it's so weird to me. Somehow right now, I just had the thought of James just being like Stretch Armstrong at this yes. point. It's like... <laughs> you can stretch I his mean, forehead, you can yeah. stretch his neck. But those are the only two options. Those are the only two things that you can stretch. <laughs> right. Like everything else is like, uh, I don't want to say mummified, but like got rigor mortis. Like mm-hmm. the only thing that... <laughs> the only thing you can <laughs> you can move at this point is the neck and forehead. And that's it. Yeah, it's a special <laughs> James edition Stretch Armstrong. <laughs> But anyway, she doesn't really want to talk about the abuse. And she's like, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. Basically summarizing. And then Jeffrey does come back home, which to to which I want to say, how does he not see her over in the garage making out with James? He does. He absolutely does. He has to. I just was like, oops, let me jump out real quick. I was like, no, you've already got you done got got. Okay, yeah, just yeah. so you know. You can't fix your little... Uh, lips and your makeup that easily like he saw you Bobby and Audrey flirt and I gotta tell you it is everything I'm sorry Shelly don't hate me don't at me Shelly she offers him a business deal they can discuss later over celebration then retreats the horn hidey hole to figure out what's going on another coin I another term I just want to say was coined by the talking backwards guys if you're not listening to that podcast please do it Bobby finds Ben setting up a civil war scene at Gettysburg uh, and Ben is pleased with Bobby's findings I just want to say this I'm gonna get this out and then I don't I'm not gonna say anything else um I am sorry don't at me Shelly Bobby stands but there's something. Very hot between Audrey and Bobby. I don't, yes. not that there's not something hot. I think that obviously the common denominator here is Bobby. <laughs> it could <laughs> be, but be these real. are both beautiful women too. So, right. Yeah. That's what, I, that's what I'm saying. Like, not that he's not hot with Shelly because he, it, it is, he is, but it's yeah. also whatever this is with Audrey is all, is equally hot. Yeah. Right. And I'm just Agreed. like, Bobby, you poon hound. What's going on here? <laughs> but... <laughs> 
it, I still like this, you know, the flirty touches. And then, I mean, another, is this code? Is this word celebration and a code for something? Because mm-hmm. didn't they go out for a milkshake? Ice cream, an ice cream cone they could lick. Yes. Yeah. And, and then it's like, and now they're kind of, it's a little, it's more heightened than the first time. Because um, he even goes in for a kiss, which she denies him, which is even, you know. Such a good move from Audrey. Such a good move. And I'm just like, okay, this is great. I will forever stand Bobby and Shelly. Please don't get me wrong. But yeah. this little moment in time with yeah. Bobby and Audrey, I'm also living for that. I have, like, I, I know Bobby and Audrey have great chemistry. I'm super feeling it. But I would have loved to see something where, like, maybe Bobby broke up with Shelly for a little bit to explore that. Like, this man needs to stop going from woman to woman to woman without making a clear break. And in my notes, I just have in all caps, no, Bobby, no, sprays with water bottle. <laughs> <laughs> this is definitely a, a spray moment. It's yes. like, ah, 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 ah. don't yes. do that. Ah, ah, ah. Get off that counter. Mm-hmm. Get off that counter. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't I to be honest with you I don't even want to talk about the Civil War stuff no I don't I no. don't get it I almost I wonder don't if we should get make it. a pact to never talk about okay <laughs> and I would be fine with that I don't I don't want to explore what's going on there no I'm proud of Bobby for his good work but if I were him I would get out of the Civil, civil War situation and fast but I mean obviously Ben is excited that Bobby has obviously found out what he doesn't know because he rewards him with a raise. What I want to know, though, and you know how I am about details like this. It's so it's so silly of me, but I want to know how much he gave him out of his pocket. What did he pay you? I have to assume it was a (laughs) hundred. Is that worth it? Let's be real. I mean, like as a little bonus. Yes. Not as his regular salary, but it has to be a hundred dollar bill. Even 50, yeah. like 50 would feel not insulting, but, you know, would feel silly. It's got to be a $100 bill. Yeah. I don't know why I, I always, like, uh, I'm always engrossed in little details where I'm left wondering, like, well, how much did you give him? Yes. You know what I mean? Where yes. I, it's just, it's like, what does it matter? But I'm like, it matters to me. I want to know how much you I agree. Him. I want to know, too. Maybe Twin Peaks has its own currency. Maybe that's like a, a $1,000 <sighs> bill. See? What if it has Ben's face on it? Would love it. <laughs> Would love it. I mean, he's the one at the top of the tower. Uh, he's a baby. I don't know. What if it has the log lady's face on it? Now, that's Ooh. some currency I can get behind. Pete and Catherine celebrate as well. The victory of double-crossing Ben Horn. Josie, in a full-made costume complete with hat, plays nice. I also don't like that Josie made stuff. No, nope. okay? <laughs> Like, I'm sorry. I, I know. I feel like I'm just like shitting on it, but I'm like, there are just some things I just don't even want to go into. It's so demeaning to see Josie yes. in that role. And again, going back to when Catherine first set this up, I get it. I like that it establishes Catherine as one of the main antagonists in the show. Not that, it, no, I shouldn't say establishes. She had already been established in that way, but I think firmly sets her into that place of antagonist. It's good. I love seeing a woman play that role, but then it's equally as painful to see Josie, this Asian woman, being sort of, not that there's anything wrong with being a maid, but, like, she's not choosing to be in that role. Like, she's being dominated in a way that's not comfortable. Yes. Now, I do want to do a little interpretive reading, if you don't mind. Oh, I'd love this. Yes. Wine comes in at the mouth. Love comes in at the eye. I touch my glass to my lips. I look at you and sigh. That's Yeats. 
<sighs> so beautiful. I was way more interested in the limerick, and I wish it didn't well. get cut off. <laughs> That's what I wish we could know the ending to. Dale tells Diane that Wyndham's almost outsmarting him and fills her in on his house hunting and the investigation. Audrey shares the photos of Hank with Cooper, where he makes a discovery that could be in his favor. Denise will help Dale get justice, and Audrey admires the fact that there is a woman agent in the force. All I have here, I I have three things. Diane in all capitals with with exclamation marks. I mean, listen, y'all, when I was going on this journey the first time, all I really cared about once Laura's death was solved was who the fuck is Diane? Yeah. And so anytime she makes an appearance through the tape recorder, I just still freak out because I just (laughs) keep remembering like, who is Diane? Then I have Audrey is amazing. I love the fact that she's sharing all this with Dale because she knows it's going to help him. And I know I expressed in the last episode how much I love Denise. I'm going to continue to do that until the day that I leave this earth because Denise is amazing. Her presence, she's beautiful. The way that she is so... Like, she's not even trying to talk Dale out of anything. She's just like, you know what? Good. We're on the right path. Let's get this going. Mm-hmm. Let's get this together. Mm-hmm. I just she's in Dale's corner. Like she's a ride or die. And I love Denise. Every so anytime Denise is in a scene, I it's it's just heaven for me. Agreed. It really elevates it. I mean, we said it before, but David Duchovny brings so much nuance and like authenticity to Denise. And she just really comes alive whenever she's on screen or in a scene. Like, I love it. Uh I don't have much to say about the Wyndham Earl stuff. Like, basically, he's a step ahead of Cooper right now, and that's a little concerning. Audrey's reaction to Denise is the most wonderful thing about this episode. And if the show needed to do any work in proving is the wrong word, but, like, making its feelings about Denise clear, this is it. It's done it. Audrey is such a special character for so many people. She's such a strong woman except for like those parts where she's crying at one eye jacks or whatever but but this reaction it just it just says so much about audrey denise and the show itself and it's just it's fantastic i love the idea that a trans woman could give audrey hope for her future she sees something like a whole new door has opened up for audrey and her future and the possibilities that await her and that's fucking awesome absolutely Everything you said, obviously, and just to go even a step further, we okay. So Audrey, um, she's she's found a way to kind of channel that what we usually call like the sneakiness of her, right? Like mm. she sneaks around, mm-hmm. she gathers evidence, she gathers facts. But this is a way for her to channel that into a career for herself, and it's all. It's like you can see the light bulb go off in her head when she sees Denise, right? Yes. And she's like, oh, my God. So I can take this because I'm really good at it, obviously. She's basically just giving Cooper everything he needs to help himself out of this investigation, he right? Says he says she may have saved his life. I, absolutely. And there's that. And that's great. And she gets a lot of she's pride. Like she has pride about that. And it gives her joy. But the minute she sees a female like agent she's like oh my god I could do this yes empowering I don't want to say little girls because she's obviously not a a child but Mm -hmm. I mean like empowering young women you know like just takes one person to see it and I just love everything about it I really do 
It's awesome. The little kiss Ugh. that she gives Dale afterwards, it it like it strikes yeah. me a little bit as like claiming territory in a way. But I also think in this moment, Audrey doesn't know if she's coming or going because she's saying thank you and you're welcome. And she's just so like starstruck in this moment that I think this is the first time I looked at it and was like, it doesn't feel that sleazy or underhanded or anything. It just feels like a young girl that's just so excited. Uh, one other thing I did want to say that I have in my notes. Uh, when Cooper is talking to Diane, though, and he talks about uh, the town and that house, that dead dog farm, you know, being filled with secrets, just mm-hmm. like the town. Yeah. I'm sorry, but all I can think about, though, is Harold. Like, <laughs> what do you oh, want to know? Secrets? secrets? Are you looking oh. for secrets? I know. And then I was like, oh, no, don't think about Harold anymore. You I know, love I was just that. like, because oh. it, it made me think about Laura and how she's so filled with secrets. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, Harold is an extension of Laura. He I had agree. her secret diary. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. But, oh, so good. So good. I also love that uh, Denise isn't suddenly interested in men just because she's embraced her, you know, true, authentic self as a woman. Like, her explanation to Cooper as to why she's still into women doesn't really make sense, but I don't care. I like no. that she just wasn't all of a sudden, you know, into men or whatever. But yeah, it's kind of like, gosh, because I mean, think about this in 1991, though. Like, yes. Not just there being trans representation, but also like uh, fluidity. Like, yeah, that sort of representation as well. Right. Because I mean okay, some people might be like, all right, they are trans, so that means that they must be attracted to, like, this type of person, but there's a fluidity in there, and I love that representation of that as well. Yep. Yeah, you're right. The explanation could probably use some fine-tuning. I mean, I I put my panties on one leg at a time. I was like, ew, panties, ugh. I hate the word panties. I hate it, ew. I wouldn't even write it in my notes. I was like, P word, and I was like, we all know I will write the other P word out, so it's not that. (laughs) That's okay. But yeah, really good representation way ahead of its time. But it's very, it's great because I think for a lot of people that were open to the message, they were able to receive it a lot earlier and maybe become more um, knowledgeable about gender and everything like that in general, right? Which only helps us in the long run to advance our thought process Mm because a lot of it... Needs fine-tuning, let's yeah, be real. Still, so. Yeah, Ed reminisces with Norma about their time as kids and how the plans they made don't actually mean a damn thing. Well, Hank lurks in the background. Okay. <laughs> I This is so relatable on so Ugh, many levels. Yes. Outside of Bobby and Shelly, Ed and Norma mm-hmm. have my heart always and forever. Yep. Um, it's tragic. Uh, and I hate to say that because Nadine is my all-time favorite. You know, it's 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 a very complicated feeling that I have here about this. But I love Nadine's journey and what eventually comes out of that. But for Ed and Norma, just specifically those two characters, there's just so much there. And they both know what could have been. I've never heard something so relatable, though. And I feel like, um, and I say younger people, I mean, I'm not ancient. I'm not a dinosaur. But, I mean, you could start instilling these types of thoughts into people when they're very young. And you can tell them all the plans that you make, like everything that you think is so important at this one moment in your life when you're younger, when you get older, like you'll realize that they don't 
mean a damn thing because so much takes place in between. And it's great to look back on these memories. It's great to reminisce, but look at where you are now and how you got to where you're at. And you do realize that all of that didn't mean anything. And it's heartbreaking. At least this is the way I'm interpreting. Let's put it that way. It's heartbreaking because you know there's such a love lost there between the two of them. But for Ed to actually say to her, none of that mattered when we were younger. Like, look at where we're at now. Oh, my gosh. Like, that's... I want to cry. I almost want to cry because it's relatable content in in the highest form. You know, like, look at everything he's going through with Nadine. Look at everything she's going through with Hank. You know, I mean, like, and then look at the two of them together and it's like, gosh, wasn't it great after all those football games or whatever it may be, right? Remember all those fun times we had together? But it didn't mean... It doesn't mean anything now. Not... It still holds a, a special place and a fondness, but in the grand scheme of things, those types of interactions or those types of moments in time don't have an effect on, you know, where you end up in life. Yeah, it's they, such a greater, like, forest for the trees picture type of thing. Mm, you know what I mean? Yes, yeah. It's such a beautiful scene. I also have written in my notes, wow, this dialogue is incredibly relatable. And it's for it's been forever since we've seen Ed and Norma interact in this way. The way that they look at each other is just so darn sweet. The whole thing is just so heartwarming. But kind of the way that I was looking at it was that it's almost like, I mean, I agree with what you're saying for sure, but it feels like great advice to also not give up on those things, to True. not give up on those ideas and those dreams and those plans that you had when you were younger. I mean, they're going to shift and they're going to change because, yeah, you've grown up and a lot of things have happened in your life along the way to change who you are, how you look at the world, how you approach things. But I love that this is the way that they're kind of opening the door for Ed and Norma to maybe be back together or to explore what they still have with one another and to just... If you are in a situation where, I mean, what does he say? He's like, I'm, I'm living my life, but I don't like it that much. And yeah, so so change things like don't yeah. don't get stuck in that complacency or whatever. Like take in some of that energy that you had when you were younger and, and that that drive and that fire and like bring it back, you know, like it doesn't have and to I- be gone. And I, I, I really do like that. I really do. I think for me, I was. <laughs> This it made me think about like my high school quote unquote love, right? It's not yeah. who I ended up marrying. It's not who I have a life with now. And I, I put myself in the place of what if now all things aside, we're obviously not still living in the same town together. Like obviously not having all these uh, uh, moments that you do have in everyday interaction together, right? But if I were to see that person again and to think back on all of those like high school love moments and then look at your life where it's at now. Like that, I guess that's where I was coming from where like, well, that stuff really doesn't matter. Totally. If you're not together, if it didn't lead to you being together in your life. But I do love that also being the possibility to open the door for them to rekindle or act upon their feelings, whatever is going on with the two of them for them to, to dive deeper into that again i'm just gonna i'm just gonna say this people will sometimes be like twin peaks is so kooky i don't know how you understand it's not to understand but it's moments like this Mm though like they're super relatable wholesome good things that are in there it's like you 
you pick up on those things and you just get attached to it. And that's what I love about it. You yeah. know, just, yeah. ugh. but Ed and Norma have such a beautifully tragic love story that feels so, so real to me yeah. and so sad, but also so lovely. Yeah. Dick visits the sheriff's department to tell Andy he thinks Nikki's the devil. And Doc Hayward breaks the news to Dwayne that Dougie died of natural causes. Dwayne doesn't accept it and believes it was witchcraft. The widow does seem to have something about her as she immediately has all the men smitten with her. Okay, first of all, very first note, not Andy imagining little Nikki in a devil's costume straight out of the early 90s. I went to school with kids who wore this costume (sighs) on Halloween. I love it so it's the but it's the look on Andy's face where he's like, oh, hmm, you know, like, oh no, he is the devil. You know, it's great. It's great. He's such a goof. I love it. The the bubble thing that appears is a little <laughs> jarring. Like, I feel like we've never seen anything like no. that up until this point. I also don't hate it. It definitely sticks out, but it's just kind of whatever <laughs> for me. It kind of just feels fitting for this to be like this goofy, like thing that Andy and Dick, like now Dick has sort of planted this into yes. Andy's head because I don't yes. think it was there before. That's a great it's point. Just this, yeah. So it kind of, it's comical. So it's, it's, it makes sense for there to be like this comic book bubble that comes up with totally. like little, little Nikki in a devil's outfit with flames behind them. It's great. Yes. But. I like the idea of it being the seed that's been planted by <laughs> Dick. And so now it's like, yeah, we're seeing it grow inside <laughs> Andy's mind. Uh, so obviously, you know, Doc Hayward has told Dwayne, listen, the autopsy's back. All right. He did die of natural causes. It was a heart attack. Harry's trying to talk sense into Dwayne. Dwayne is still not convinced. He's like, I'm going to sue her. She's not getting any money. I mean, he is just on a war path right now. Um, let's just, you know, all of that happens. I mean, the men see it's even almost like they need to put that like a magical like, I don't that's that's a terrible uh <laughs> Almost like a twinkle sound effect over, like when she sticks her head out of the door with Hawk. Because mm, first of yeah. all, whiskey and warm milk—that's disgusting. Yeah, that's really gross. That made me want to vom. But just like the unless way they're talking all, about Irish cream, I don't, I don't know. But I don't but know I just why was Harry like, would no, have thank that. you. Yeah, Ugh. yeah, I don't know if Harry would have that either. To be honest, but, yeah, uh, whiskey makes more sense. But yeah, so you obviously start seeing like, I don't know, she's got Hawk under some kind of spell. But so here comes all the other men. Lucy is not having it. Now, when we, this felt very strange to me, almost out of the realm. When we get that flash of Lucy walking and then she walks through, you know, the back, she like looks in the plants. Okay. And then the phone call happens. That does not feel like it took place at the same time. Like they went mm-hmm. from everybody being out. Like if you, because I rewind it <laughs> a couple yeah. times. It just seemed almost like this weird, not a loop, but this weird, like every, like everybody was out there. The scene was very full of people and there wasn't noise, but there was noise, if that makes sense. But then she leaves the scene and comes back to a completely empty, soundless Nothing going on moment. Yeah. It's like no one was there at all. And it doesn't show any type of like the them going into a room or like them leaving the scene. Do you see what I'm saying here? Yeah. So it felt very like 
is this real like type of thing? So when we were talking about Lana and we know it's pheromones, but this this felt very I don't want to say magical, but out of body type Mm. experience. thing. Yeah. You know, because it's like I would say magical. It felt like it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of. The James and Donna scene at the double R where it's very strangely lit. There's Vaseline on the filter. It's in this section of the double R that we don't normally see. Then all of a sudden we're at the bar, the like the bar stools, the regular section. But like, and we know that they're connected, but they feel disconnected. It, it yep. was kind of a similar thing to that. Yeah, it just took me out of what was happening, you know? If, and then, like, even for it to be, it was, even though she got the phone call and she mm-hmm. was trying to page Harry, it was still very quiet, even when she put oh. her ear up to the door yes. until she opened it. And it was almost like she was opening it into this weird, like, yes. dream-like or, like, other, like, opening a door to another world type thing where they're all in there, like, possessed by Lana yes. and laughing at her story, which I didn't even get her story and pouring her milk and even Andy's like enamored with her, which yeah. doesn't feel like it should fit. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. With the Lana stuff, this is the one sequence that I do really enjoy because it feels so otherworldly and strange. Like it really does sort of sit the same way when we were talking about that James and Donna double R scene, like it just fits kind of outside of everything else it feels so ominous when Lucy is using the sort of intercom speaker thing. And there's just, we get these uh, shots of just like emptiness and it's so quiet. And then, yeah, you're right. The sound only happens as they open the door. Andy being there feels really out of place. And I love Lucy's reaction. Like she's so bummed to see that Andy is there. I mean, she kind of I don't think she really clocks uh, anything about Dick. It's like, it makes sense that he would be in there. He's an idiot. But she just gets this look on her face when she sees Andy. Like, she's so heartbroken. And the slamming of the door, I was like, this is exactly what I would do. Thank you, Lucy. Like, I think you are acting as so many people in the audience right now. But also the slamming of the door felt like it was such a definitive, like, break to that yep. otherworldly differentness that was happening. Yeah, it was really cool. That was great. Denise squeezes a confession out of Ernie, and a sting operation is set in motion to catch the people responsible for setting up Dale. I love the fact that Denise just, I mean, she saunters in. I love everything about it. She just plops down all the stuff. He's like, who are you? What do you want? She's like, well, I'm going to tell you all about me. DEA. Uh, here's some photographs and you're going to give me a confession. And I just, the, the movements in the, while she was talking though, the fact that she just gets out this very petite and feminine (laughs) compact, opens it, checks her lipstick, puts on her lipstick the whole time. And she's just like, and then you're going to hold on. Let me get the top lip. Uh Then you're just going to give me a confession. Right. I, was living for One this. of the first things that we learn about Denise is that she's no nonsense. Yeah. This is it. I mean, this we see it. that for, this is the evidence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then obviously we get this wonderful scene of Ernie actually, well, I say he was actually confessing, but I mean, basically they were like, will you just shut up and get to the point? Like, I don't want to hear all of your tomfoolery about like, oh, they they coaxed me into this. I don't know anybody who would buy drugs. (laughs) You know, but I love the storm that was going on while this was happening. Everything that the lights flickering on and off, the sound of the thunder, the the flashes of lightning. 
all of it. And them and and them setting up the sting operation. And I loved it. Yeah. When Denise was like, no, don't worry. We got the perfect guy for this. He's going to come in. And, and I just loved <laughs> everything about it. Because then Ernie's like, I have a nervous bladder. Excuse me. <laughs> like, I love watching Denise and Coop work together. They're great. Yes. Yeah. It's a great scene. Another great scene. So much chemistry there, too. I mean, not the not a sexual chemistry, but just like no. great yeah. working like chemistry they feed off of each other there's a lot of like respect and understanding and they kind of have a similar style and yeah it's yeah malcolm begins to plant seeds of murdering evelyn's husband into james's fast forehead okay (laughs) so basically i mean I, i don't think at this point we're spoiling anything james is sleeping the storm is raging a fight breaks out in the main house who conveniently shows up but Malcolm. And Malcolm's talking all this shit about, I will kill him. Like, I've always wanted to kill him. I've, I can't do it. <coughs> Could somebody else <coughs> possibly be man enough to do this? You know what I mean? I'm just like, please stop. Like, th- again, they're still, they're planting the seeds. They're watering the crop. The, the corn's going to pop up on the forehead any moment now. Okay. But it won't because the soil is, uh, <laughs> compromise tainted it's not gonna work you can't plant anything there (laughs) i was gonna say the soil is dirty but i'm like well it is though like in general too but (laughs) yeah Yeah, i just i just don't care more of that everything i said yeah everything i said earlier about you know it's hard to get into this storyline because we already don't care about james that's it yeah that's it let's get to the best scene of the whole ep well one of them, yeah. Second, this yeah. the second best. The thing about the thing about season two that I have been noticing, and maybe I didn't have this in my head in season one, but they are leaving the episodes on such great scenes. Fantastic in season two. endings to episodes. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Because this time around, I'm keeping all my notes. I mean, I kept them last time, but we did so many episodes. We we talked about so many episodes at once. Oh and they yeah. Were all kind of, yeah. Now they're and I'm starting to realize. Okay. The endings to these episodes are amazing. So, in a very touching and emotional scene, Betty and Bobby reminisce on Garland and what an amazing person he is. Bobby recalls that beautiful talk at the double R, and in the flash of a lightning strike, Garland is back. I've got chills all over me right now just just rethinking of this again. so good. So good. First of all, we got to get the, you know us, we got to get this out of the way. Okay, we got Bobby in a suit and then to start the episode. And then we got wet Bobby to end the episode. Could it get any better? Oh my God. The little wisp of hair that kind of comes down his forehead is just like, I can't, I can't even describe the feelings that it evokes within (laughs) me when I see it. Like it, it, uh, uh, you guys. I'm going, okay, I'm going to challenge you right now. Here's my challenge to you. I want to see one piece of Bobby Briggs Twin Peaks fanfic from you. <laughs> I don't want you to Ooh. read it. <laughs> Maybe as something special coming up. I don't know. But uh, you, the what way do you, you mean, like a Patreon exclusive? Maybe. I don't know. Okay. But the way that you talk about <laughs> this man is amazing. It's going to be like but, so indulgent and like just my pure fantasy, though. I don't know who but, I don't know who wants to hear that. <laughs> I mean, you could sell a book at the Harlequin Romance on it. I'm sure you could. I mean, maybe. Um, but wet Bobby when he pulls mm. that cigarette out and puts it in his mouth. Mm. There's just 
I don't like, listen, I don't know what it is, but a, a smoking man. <laughs> so stupid, but not that, that smoking is so, man, though. No, not the no, not the smoking man. No, <laughs> but just if if it's a right character yeah. and the right yeah. vibe and then they stick a cigarette. <laughs> Why is it so cool? I don't Why? understand. I don't know, but it really it's great for me. Um, but it's also because, I, I mean, like, he looks fucking great, but the way that he talks about his dad, the way that he retells this story from the double R, the way that he can admit that, what does he say? Like, my dad is a deeply weird individual, but nobody has quite as much going on up there as he did. Like, there's so much respect for his dad that I don't think we've really had a chance to see before. And it's just, it's so beautiful the way that he talks to his mother, is by her side in this little time of need, the way he talks so highly of his father. Like, he's just a great man. Please come marry me. Please? <laughs> Bobby? Okay, listen. Hello? I don't... I, I want to <laughs> let a little air out of your balloon just for a moment. I don't think that he was this way until his dad talked to him on the double R because he was I disrespectful agree. as fuck. I agree. He was an annoying brat in the beginning. Yeah. But yeah, but what I love about this for him is that he did actually, he was actually listening. And we know that from the scene. We know that from that episode where it took place. I mean, we know that he had a visceral reaction to it. I mean, he's crying. Uh, But I love that it's still there. You know, like sometime, not a lot of time. I know it's passed since then. But, and now dad's gone missing or not. Well, he's just on one of his disappearing moments, right? Um. But I love that in that moment, he can recall all of that. And you just see this different Bobby when it comes to Garland. And i that's what I love is yeah. that, you know, he was so gross about his family in the beginning. But that talk really changed him and resonated, at least on the family front, when it, it comes to Bobby. Exactly. And I yes. love it. Yeah. And I love that he comforts his mother. I mean, honestly, like, that <sighs> is sexy, too. Like, <sighs> just, a, you know what I mean? I, like, let's just be real. Like, he, he doesn't just, like, you know, brush it off and say, oh, you're going to be fine. I mean, he kneels down. He holds her hand. He lets her express what she wants to say. Oh, my God. All of it. Mm-hmm. And... And then when Garland does appear back looking like Amelia Earhart. um, (laughs) But it's the look on his face, too. Like, uh, it's just all of that, you know? And even Garland telling him, put that cigarette Mm -hmm. out. He was like, oh, boop, you know? And I was like, oh, remember, you can't smoke around Garland. I don't know. I just, yeah, this was a such a I, I did shed a tear during the scene I'm not gonna yeah. lie I'm not yeah. gonna act like a tough ass like I love I this crying. family I loved seeing yeah. them all together in this different way because I feel like the last time we saw all three of them together was in Dr. Jacoby's office and the vibe was much different and here it's just so tender and sweet and I love the fact that we're getting such a sort of quick resolution to the Major Briggs sort of cliffhanger and yet we get all of these new questions. Of course, we want to know where he was. Interesting that he is dressed as Amelia Earhart right after the guy from uh, the guy that he works with was saying all of these things about him being a great pilot. Did they know more than they were letting on? Uh, it's just, yeah, it's great. We get a wrap up, but we also get, you know, the door opening to more stuff. Well, yeah, because Betty asked him, is everything all right? And mm-hmm. he's like, no, it's not. Yep. I mean, what a way to... And then when, like, the credits came up, I was like, no! 
It's a good I ending. I want more again. of this. Yeah. Yeah. So yep. good. Such a fantastic episode. I think underrated because I think it, it it's those storylines that we don't care too much about that are really more, uh, they're more towards the front in these episodes than what we really want to know. But the right. things that we want to know and what we do get out of that, like Garland and Coop, we just, it's fantastic. There's fantastic. definitely a lot of standout moments. And I think that's been happening maybe since like episode 10. The episodes overall aren't anything that are going to, like, I'm not going to remember, oh, Episode 10, wow, one of my favorites of the entire thing. But I'm going to remember a scene from episode 10 that really does stick out to me. So, all right, well, we're going to head into the spoiler slash connection section. But anybody not joining us, thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you on episode 13. Bye-bye. What is this? I thought I'd taken that out. That property is called Dead Dog Farm. And it's worse than it sounds. What is it? A puzzle. No one ever really stays there long. When can I see it? And we're back. Spoiler slash connection section. What do you got this week, Mel's? I like what you were saying about Dead Dog Farm. I'm picking up that this reminds me, it even looks like the convenience store to me. Yes, it's the it's a There's, Formica table. It's where they have it, their meetings. Exactly. Um, even the structure of the building looks like the convenience, or building, the house looks like the convenience store. Um, meetings are happening there. It's definitely mm-hmm. connected. It's definitely, and I don't think it's laid out for us that way but it's definitely something as you you have to go through the return to kind of then go back and be like oh that's definitely part of well it. i think even once you see fire walk with me you or, can yeah, you yeah. can relate back to this yeah that's the first thing in my notes too it's interesting this whole set felt very lynchian to me um yeah. it feels yes like fire walk with me but even like i kind of got a racer head vibes or i even get like i don't know there's something about the dinginess of the set the burnt up curtains it all felt very david lynch to me and i think that it really it really connects it with the stuff that happens in the woods the more mystical magical supernatural stuff it's a great set yeah absolutely um what i was going to say about shelly in the future um, because a, a lot of, I think I had some frustration when I first watched the return on why Shelly was letting Becky do and, and like live kind of the way that she was knowing that. And I don't even remember his name off the top of her, but her husband, mm, uh, our boyfriend, Steven? Steven, that's it. That Steven was not the best, you know, but look at what Shelly went through with Leo yeah. But also, there's a lot of Norma's influences to to Shelley during that time period in her life. Yeah. And how she was a, a mother figure for her, but let her live her life. And I, I you see it so much when you see Shelley with her own child um, later on. And that's really, I mean, yeah. what I wanted to say about that. And I, I love putting that sort of stuff together because I'm like, this is just... Basically, she's Norma in this situation where she's like, well, you know what? Okay, well, I'll take you down, you know, wherever. And don't throw me off the hood of your car. But, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but you know what I'm saying there? Like, you know, okay, I'll come over. I'll check on you. But you're still going to have to live your life or you're going to have to learn from mistakes that will be made. Yeah. And for me, that has always 
sort of been symbolic of a larger theme within the return of just cycles. And within yep. Twin Peaks itself of cycles. I mean, we see that with Leland and Laura and Sarah. I mean, it's in the ceiling fan. Like it's, yeah. Yeah. It is happening and again. Then, it is, yeah. And then also I just wanted to talk about Ed Norma in the return. I mean, I this moment in the double R between the two of them, all I could think about is the moment in the double R yeah. between the two of them and the return. And it still doesn't get resolved quickly for them, right? I mean, 25 more years have to go by for them. And I think that's why I was so weepy and so emotional during that scene because I was like, gosh, like you think it's headed towards something, yeah. but in reality, it's 25 more years before we get any or they not even we don't even deserve it like those two characters get something with each other you know yeah. so honestly for me a more tragic love story than Romeo and Juliet I agree I agree like there, oh. there's one thing to like kill yourself over your lover that you can't have but to live in constant connection with the person that you love and still not be able mm-hmm. to make it work oof that's tragic yeah. it really is yeah um, I don't think I had really like much else. I, I, oh, obviously, I got a lot of well, and I think it's up. I think it's supposed to be this, but when Bobby is talking about in very great detail to Betty, the house with the white marble, lots of lights, the um, hmm. joy and everything. But I know that it's not a physical. It's not physical. Um, Jack Rabbits, but I feel like it's the feeling of when they're at Jack Rabbits that you get. Cause you know, you can visit somewhere. Yeah. Doesn't have to, but you know, like you can get that warm sensation. And when you think about a warm sensation, you think about lights, you think about white, like beautiful marble. Like that's, that really had me thinking about, okay, it's not a, the, the physicality of Jack Rabbits place or yeah, like that. Yes. It's in the woods, but What's the feeling when you're there with your dad? And it's got to be exactly what Garland was telling him, like, in this moment. And just, obviously, we don't get that until, oh, I know, I'm going to cry. Like, I'm trying not to Mel, so that much. is insanely beautiful. I love <laughs> that take so much. Thank you. Thank you. Ugh, I am so in love with that. That's awesome. Oh, thank you. <laughs> that's yeah, all I had. That's great. I'm going to end on a high note. Yeah, girl, go out on that high note. I like it. <laughs> uh, I only had one other thing, really. I, you know, as Cooper is deciding to look at real estate and kind of double down on his love for Twin Peaks, it got me feeling like Twin Peaks is really Cooper's downfall, honestly. Like, it's one of the best <laughs> things that ever happened to him, but it's also very clearly the worst thing that the happened worst. to him because he gets lost in a fucking spirit realm for 25 years. So, I mean, and then that got me thinking about how when Cooper finally comes back to us in The Return, he is the nostalgia and the fan service that doesn't work within The Return. Like, he is this sort of anomaly that's not happening in the rest of the narrative, which I find so interesting. And it's like, he comes back, we think he's going to be the big savior. Like, we think he's going to swoop in, make everything better. But, like, how could that possibly happen after all this time has passed? Things are 
Same, same, but different in Twin Peaks, but we're not about coffee and cherry pie anymore. And Coop's still kind of on that wavelength. And honestly, Dale, the Dale Cooper story is a tragic one. I think yeah. anybody that comes out of Twin Peaks, it's kind of just always tragedy laced with some silver linings. And yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so true. It's so true. Yeah. And I hate it. I know. Like, I hate it, but I love it. But I love it because it just, it's, it just, it's the feeling you get, though. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's I don't want to say it's relatable material because I'm obviously not going to go in my backyard and disappear for 25 years. I hope not, at Please least. Please don't. Please don't. <laughs> All right. I'm not going to get sucked up and then come back and, like, dress as Amelia Earhart. But, like, <laughs> the, it's relatable in this weird way, though, where it gives you this, like, just cool. I, I can only describe it as, like, this cool feeling of, like, gosh, that's so good. You know? Mm-hmm, and. Mm-hmm kooky to some people but so good to me like I love I just love it I love it so much Mm -hmm. I mean I think we've said time and time again oh time and time again uh (gasps) that Twin Peaks is really a feeling I mean yes it's not absolutely I mean we can talk it about it forever and ever and ever and I'm sure that we will but at the end of the day it's it's ambiance it's feeling it's atmosphere it's the way that yeah yeah yeah, I don't it's know how else way. to say it. It's the way. It's the way. It's the way that, yeah. That's a quote. I love it. That's a quote. <laughs> <laughs> it's the way oh. that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The way. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. Well, if that's all for this week, I've got to get started on some home renovations. First up on my list, getting rid of that baby laxative in the kitchen sink. And I've got some reading to catch up on. So if you need me, I'll be at the Great Northern reading hookers and handmaids.
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Damn Fine TV Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. Come hang out with us on Instagram and Twitter at Damn Fine TV. You can find me on Instagram at Damn Fine Witch and Mel's at Superficial Mel's. And if you're watching TV, make sure it's Damn Fine TV. Damn Fine TV. I don't think that you can get too much Twin Peaks.